Mothering can be one of the most joyous, yet overwhelming and exhausting experiences in a woman's life. But there's one thing I know for certain. When we own our stories, we heal. And when we lovingly hold space for another mama's journey, we receive one of the greatest gifts of this life, knowing we are not alone. In this real, honest, and vulnerable conversation with mamas just like you and me, let's laugh and cry together as we lose ourselves and find our way through this wild ride called motherhood. Welcome to the Mama Love Podcast. Hello, beautiful mamas. Rochelle here, and I am so excited today to be joined by one of my dearest soul sisters, and friend and colleague, Laura Jack. Welcome, Laura, to the Mama Love Podcast. Thank you, Rochelle. I'm so grateful to be here with you and with your lovely mamas. Yay. So we, <laughs> <laughs> we've been laughing because we've been talking for the last 45 minutes. And then we realized, oh, we should have just been recording our catch-up conversation because there were so many wisdom nuggets <laughs> inside that conversation. But One of the things that I really wanted to have you on here to share is about this concept of grief, not only being about when there's a loss or a a death, but grief coming from any sort of change or unmet expectations. So I'd love for you to, can we just go right into that conversation? Because I think so many people have a misunderstanding about what grief is. I certainly did until I learned this from you. Yes. So the grief definition that we use at the Grief Recovery Institute, which is where I was trained as the grief recovery specialist, um, is the conflicting feelings that are caused by the end of or change in a familiar pattern of behavior. So the conflicting feelings, I'll start with that. It is not the sad, bad, horrible feelings. It's both. It's the good and the bad. It's it's all of it, the yin and the yang, right? So with sadness and devastation often comes relief. With, you know, a lack of understanding often comes clarity. So there's all these feelings that get kind of all intertwined, anger and frustration with love and acceptance, right? So we often grieve, we have these conflicting feelings when things change, okay? So when our normal life is going, we're going about our normal life and then all of a sudden something changes. So I know that you're in the middle of moving and moving is a grief experience. It's a grief grieving experience because we're saying goodbye to the old and we're saying hello to the new and it's exciting. And it's like, sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's scary. Um, but it's the end of all your familiar patterns because even if you move down the street from where you live, it's still a grieving experience because the way that you drive out of your driveway every day, your routine, your daily routine changes. And so, you know, some people are like, you know, I'm really excited about my move. And then they get wherever they're going and they say, oh gosh, like I forgot about like, this is going to be different. Right. And that I haven't, I have to make new friends or I have to, you know, find a new coffee shop that I like, or I don't get to go to the same market that I've always gone to or whatever it is. And sometimes it feels silly, but those are like legitimate feelings that people have. And moving is just one example of the hundreds of experiences that could be considered grief. I love that it's it shows up in the most ordinary places. And absolutely. 
And one thing I'd love for you to go into, if you would, is when we become mothers, we go from maiden to mother, and there is a grieving process. We, we, We grieve, we mourn the life that we had before baby came, even though we spent nine months anticipating and planning and being excited and right. And then the baby comes and we're like, Oh, "Oh, absolutely. I'm, I am no longer free to do as I wish at any moment of my day. Because (laughs) even during pregnancy, the baby's just on along for the ride. And all of a sudden it's actually really hard when they come out, they need you. Like you have to feed them. They poop. (laughs) <laughs> and they need to sleep and they are fussy sometimes and it's confusing and sometimes there's health issues. And so all of a sudden what was just like a person who was along for the ride inside is now somebody who needs a lot of things from you. And so not only are you going from maiden to mother, but you're also going from, you know, an independent soul to somebody who has a fully dependent person. And I don't know about you and I, well, I do know about you, but I don't know about all the mothers out there. But when that person comes out, there's a, you just, you want to give it a hundred percent. And so you're just like, okay, I want to make sure that I'm giving this baby the best in the world. And that means you have a lot of responsibility that you never had before. Mm. And people are like, oh, you can go on vacation or you can get like once they stop nursing or you don't have to breastfeed or whatever. But the thing is, is that even if I could leave my kids for three or four days, it's still hard to be away from them. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about how that long-term impacts them and all sorts of other stuff that I never thought I would care about when I was on my own or even just married, you know, and you know, my husband's like, he can handle himself without me, not as well, but like he, he does okay, <laughs> you know, whereas my kids, like if I'm not around, it's like, they're like sad, like legitimately sad. And it's, it's like a whole different ball game. And I, I know I told you this, Rochelle, but when I was pregnant with Isla, I grieved for like the first five months, even though I wanted to have a baby. I was like, oh my gosh, my body's changing and will my body ever be the same? And hmm. I'm going to lose like all my independence and freedoms. I like spent the first five months of my pregnancy just crying. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Um, and so, yeah, it's just like, it's really about, and another little piece of the definition of grief is a loss of hopes, dreams, and expectations. Expectations, mm. And so sometimes when you have all these expectations of like, oh, like in the movies, it's like, oh, the baby's going to be so cute and so sweet and just going to ooh and coo and whatever. And then the baby comes out and it poops a lot and it spits up a lot and you can't barely even take a shower and you're tired and, you know, all the things. You're like, wait, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I can, you know, just put in my own personal experience. We, we sort of had some scary sonograms and didn't know, you know, like we were elated to be pregnant, maybe a little worried, like, oh, can we do this? But excited. And then not knowing is, is our baby okay? It could be something really bad. It could be nothing. We don't know. There's so much uncertainty. And then getting sort of the green light, like, oh, baby's all clear, baby looks good, having a home birth, and then actually almost losing our son at birth because he didn't breathe. And then being in the NICU for two weeks, and then trying to come home and having a sense of normalcy with a diagnosis and a kid on oxygen. And I think there 
there was a part of me that was so ecstatic that he lived like so beyond blissed out. And maybe that's like the mama hormones kicking in, right? Like nursing and oxytocin and all that. But also at the same time, um, being in survival mode and once home and, and not having a 24 hour nurse to help me with my baby being alone with him, essentially, um, there was a huge grieving. And I think to a certain extent, Jacob is, is three now. I think there's, are still moments where I grieve, um, that, you know, he had the entry into life that he had and the impact that that might be having on him now and his development and, you know, grieving a sense of what we had thought would be just normal, but then having to create our own normal inside of our family with a kid with developmental delays and challenges. So, you know, it's like, I I have, I have a few people that I know who've um, suffered miscarriages, incredible loss, you know, incredible loss of, of hope, dreams and expectations. And I know a few moms who've had stillborn babies. And, you know, I think about sometimes in your book, you talk a lot about, you know, not comparing, comparing is despairing, right? Don't compare and despair. When I think about those moms, I think like, I should just be grateful that I have my kid. He's here. And I can sometimes beat myself up for feeling this grief. And, you know, I have to kind of put that in check in moments and go like, yes, and I had the experience I had. And it's a part of my journey. And a part of my journey is healing healing this grief and coming to acceptance around the way that it happened and, and the way that he is and the way our life is um, different than how we had planned or hoped. Absolutely. Oh, I think there's so much truth. And, you know, what's interesting is that when we see somebody who has suffers a miscarriage or a stillbirth and the devastation that comes along with that and, you know, it's easy to say, oh, but my kid lived. And in the same breath, like, it's still okay for you to face your challenges and for you to say, yeah, and for me, this is what my experience is. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the whole don't compare and despair is because, you know, comparing can be helpful for perspective gaining. It's like, okay, like, yes, I am grateful that my child is alive. And like I'm still suffering certain things that, you know, like I, I would never wish on somebody else Mm -hmm. to have to go through because it's been so hard and I'm so tired and I don't know how I can do this, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think even like I have a developmentally like kind of regular or whatever the word is, like she's just your average kid, right? Like she's, (laughs) she's a typical like three-year-old, right? Like, cause we have kids not so far apart and I still grieve certain things about her being like a typical kid. It's still hard. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think, and it's being, giving myself permission to grieve in my own way and feel in my own way and like respect, love and cherish you and your experience. Right. And be like, wow, like we're having such different experiences and yet we're both human and we're both going through this life and having to figure it out for ourselves Mm -hmm. and all we can really do is love each other where we are 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I shared with you uh, right before we started recording that that is exactly why I wanted to do this podcast. I want to, mm-hmm. and, and why you're the absolutely perfect guest of honor, because I, I want this <laughs> to create a safe space. I want to create a an air, uh, an energy of compassion. I want us to be able to cultivate that. And you do this so beautifully in your book. It's like, how do I cultivate compassion for myself? Because that's where it starts, right? It can be difficult to be able to practice that with others when I'm not giving that to myself. And I, I have been told in the past that I'm hard on myself or I'm my worst critic. And so I'm looking at that now. And even thinking about Jacob, um, I would never want him to say, you know, oh, I, I didn't, I walked late or I'm, I fall down when I walk, like I'm such an idiot, or I would never want him to say things like that to himself. I would want him to be proud and like dust himself up and off and get back up and keep trying. And I think sometimes inside of mothering, if there is a, um, a perceived failure <laughs> or uh, a b- mistake, right? Taking on that, okay, I'm human. I make mistakes. How can I take responsibility for this? How can I learn from this and move on from it instead of just beating myself up and feeling like the worst mom in the world and laying on the mom guilt? Um, so yeah. that practice of self-compassion, how has that shown up for you in your own mothering? Now that you have, you have a three-year-old and a little baby, baby, baby boy, um, how, how <laughs> yeah. are you cultivating well, that you own know, practice for yourself? Give you some, I have to give you some credit, Rochelle, because one of the biggest challenges that I faced before Isla came was just my own body image stuff. And I decided to enroll in your one of your programs that I don't know if you teach anymore, probably not because I would have heard about it, but it's called Body Love. And basically my commitment to myself before Isla came, because I when I found out I was having a girl, I was like, I don't want to pass on this negative body image stuff that I've been carrying, like both from my mom and my grandmothers. And, and so I... I decided at that point I needed to do something really actionable and really intentional about how I'm going to talk and treat myself moving forward so that my daughter never looks at herself the way that I do and say, oh, like you said about Jacob, I'm not doing it right. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not like skinny enough or any of that, you know, BS that we say to ourselves sometimes. And I have to tell you that I am so proud of myself because I don't look in the mirror at myself in front of her and rarely on my own and criticize myself anymore. And I have to tell you that that's, you know, partially because of you and what you taught me. And I, I think that when I do that, when I have those moments of self-criticism, I remind myself that it's a consistent and constant practice of being kinder to myself. And so I think that, you know, it's like reminding myself, okay, like I'm not perfect and it's okay. And when I do say, or like act negatively towards myself, especially if it's ever in front of Isla, I just need to own that and say, you know, I'm just kind of tired today, or I haven't been taking very good care of myself lately. So I really need to work on taking better care of myself so that I can feel good in my body. 
Um, and like, just even though she's three, just telling her, letting her know that it's a choice. It's always a choice. Um, and so like, if I'm <laughs> one of my big things, is like not talking shit about people, pardon my French. I hope that's okay. That's totally um, fine. <laughs> not, okay. Um, like not speaking poorly of others and, and try not to ever do it. And particularly not in front of my kids. Uh, because I think that it's important that we speak kindly of other people. And if we're frustrated with them, it's fine. And so even when you're driving along and like sometimes my husband, I'll get upset because, you know, somebody cuts him off or is driving slowly or whatever it is. And I really encourage him the way that I encourage myself to just be kinder to those around us, even just if it's just in like one of those small incidents, because we're modeling for our children. And so when I, or he does say something like, Oh, that jerk or that idiot or whatever to then correct and say, you know what? I'm kind of just feeling a little irritable today. And so it's probably not that guy's problem. It's probably just something that I'm feeling. Mm. Um, and just owning the parts of it that I can own when it's, when I'm not perfect, quote unquote. Um, so that, you know, having compassion for myself and like owning the feelings that I have. Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. And another thing that you highlight in the book, which is the flip side of that, is that honoring that everybody has a story. So I remember Mm -hmm. one time being in the airport and checking in for a flight to Costa Rica. And it's like five in the morning. And I'm I was not a morning person. This is way before I'm a mom. And the, (laughs) the attendant at the ticket counter was so nasty to me. And I just burst into tears. I was like, what did I do? that had this person be so nasty to me. And, you know, there's, there's something about like, okay, do I take this personally? Or can I flip this and hold this person in compassion and say, wow, this person must really be hurting in order to be that reactive towards me. Um, And right. right? So like the guy that cuts you off in traffic, instead of like, what a jerk. It's like, oh, that guy must be having a really rough day. Or he must be really right. in a he rush. He probably or, needs to get wherever he's going. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's all an imagining because you're not going to pull over and say, are you having a bad day? How can I support you? Right. Right. But, um, well, but giving the people and the like, benefit Aaron will of say the to doubt. Me, like, yeah, but you don't know, Laura, if that's actually what's happening. And I say, yeah, but that's not the point. Is like the point is, is like we can make up stories because we're making up stories either way. Right. Like, oh, that guy's a jerk. That's a story, too. So if we can be like, oh, man, that guy's having a rough day then that's, even though it's a made up story, there's a likelihood that there's truth to it. And then that allows us to put on our compassion hat and have some kindness for him or her. Right. I, I love the two, the two basic sort of positions that you can take and that are these two tools that you give right out of the gate in the book is one, to wear your compassion hat and two, to put on your grief colored glasses. So could you just... Mm-hmm give people, I want people to go out and buy your book, of course, because it's so beautifully written and um, so deeply personal. And I think every human being on the planet with a beating heart can relate to it and find value in it. Um, But would you be willing to share those two basic tools just for our listeners today? Totally, of course. So the compassion hat is basically this idea that putting on our hat is compassion saying, Everybody has a story. What's this person's story? So sometimes when I'm in judgment or I'm acting like I want to get frustrated or irritated, like my husband will say, so put on your compassion hat. Like he uses my (laughs) tools against me, right? (laughs) And he's like, 
put on your compassion hat. Like, what does your compassion hat tell you? And I'm like, my compassion, so this happened yesterday, um, that this woman like approached and as I was talking to this, another neighbor and she totally butted into our conversation and she made it all about her. And then she complained for five minutes and then she basically walked away. And I was like, I was so irritated. <laughs> and then she was like talking about how she got ex- extorted and, you know, Mexico and all this stuff. And she was all angry and I'm never going back to Mexico. And part of it's just like, Oh my gosh, stop complaining. And Aaron's like, <laughs> he's so wise but he's like Laura what is your compassion hat if you had your compassion hat on what would you say I said I said she I would say she probably felt really violated and she was really scared and she needed to be heard and she was frustrated and she just wants somebody to acknowledge that like what she went through was really really scary Mm. and he's like okay that sounds more like you (laughs) because <laughs> I was like super annoyed because I'm a human being and it's normal to get frustrated yes. and annoyed with people sometimes and but it was good because my compassion hat was like you know what like she probably just wanted to be heard she needed to feel acknowledged and she was probably feeling violated and scared because when you get extorted by the police in another country it is scary mm-hmm. and you know so um so that was a really beautiful opportunity for me to take my own you know, guidance. And then the other, the grief colored glasses. So this going back to how we started this conversation, Rochelle, is that grief is in the ordinary, right? It can be from a move. It can be from, you get your hopes up that you're going to make the team and you don't make the team and there's grief about it. Mm -hmm. It can be from like something joyful, like graduating from high school. And there's grief there because it means you're saying goodbye to the last 18 years of your life. Growing up maybe with the same kids or going to school with the same kids or going out on your own, whatever that looks like. And it's scary, even though it's exciting. And everybody says, you're going off to do this amazing thing, or this is the prime of your life or whatever. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm leaving my family. And you may be even subconsciously thinking these things, but they're in there. And so it's a grieving experience. And so the grief colored glasses are basically just the understanding that grief is in the ordinary and that we are all grieving, even if it's nobody's died. And it's just, it allows us to have compassion for ourselves and for other people, because when we can put on our grief colored glasses and see that grief is everywhere, it allows us to have that compassion. And so, so often when you finally do talk to somebody and find out what's going on, you realize, oh my gosh, they're going through so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I share an example in the book about this woman who was in one of my workshops and it was the second morning and she was acting all aloof. And I was like, do you remember this part, Rochelle? I don't, I don't know. You can tell me if it was in there. I can't remember anymore. Um, but she, yeah, please she's acting all aloof. And I was, I was thinking like, is she hating this training? Does she think I'm a bad teacher. Like I was totally in my head about it. And then I, I, you know, stopped her at the break and I said, Hey, are you doing okay? And she's like, my husband had a, was hit by a car. He's like on his bicycle the other day and he was in surgery this morning and I just couldn't stop thinking about him. I was just really worried. And, um, but thanks so much for checking in. I'm sorry that I've been a little bit aloof and I was like, you know, just like this deep, like breath of, oh my goodness, like how could I have made this about me? Like this woman who's here and she decided to show up because her husband's like, you're paying a lot of money for this training. I really want you to go and be there. Like she wasn't by her husband's side. She was here at this training. So like, 
wow, like what courage it took her for her to even show up that morning. And then for me to be like all insulted, even though I didn't say that to her, I was like, oh, she doesn't care about what we're doing. And like, I had made up this whole story that wasn't like, didn't have my grief colored glasses on. Mm -hmm. And like, it was just so beautiful to find out the truth, which was just reinforcing all the things that I consistently try to practice and teach. And just like, wow, everybody does have a story. So behind that aloofness or behind that anger, behind whatever that person or you're, even the way you're acting sometimes, it's usually because you're going through something that we can't see. Right. Yeah. And those are our grief colored glasses. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I love those two distinctions. And there are certainly practices to, to take on and try on and like I shared before, I'm someone who can tend to take things really personally. So I think this is going to be super empowering for me to just take that stance, almost take a step back and go, okay, what could be going on with this person rather mm-hmm. than always like egoically making it like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> right? Like, like my ego's right. like, I must have done something to make that person so upset. Um, so right. yeah, this is, these are great tools relationally and interrelationally and also like with ourselves. Um, right. Now I, I want to ask about something that is deeply personal to you. And yeah. um, it's something that I, like, I'm just curious about you share, you, you start the book sharing about the loss of your mom and how that changed the trajectory of your life. Um, What has it been like for you to become a mom without having your mom here on this earthly plane with you? Yeah, um, thanks for the question. I think that's a really beautiful one. And I get the chills a little bit thinking about it because in some ways I I feel like she is here. But I, Mm. you know, I mentioned earlier in our chat that um, the first five, six months of my pregnancy with Isla, I cried. And I think a lot of why I was crying was because my mom wasn't going to be there. And so part of it was like saying goodbye to my, you know, whatever life before, but part of it was, Oh my gosh, how am I going to do this without my mom? And every time you go to the doctor and they say like, what was your mom's pregnancy? Like, what was your mom's birth? Like, what was your childhood? Like, and you know, my dad is an incredible man and he has a terrible memory. So he like can't really give me much of those things. Like he has a great memory for certain things, but not for those experiences. Mm-hmm. And my mom was the primary caregiver in our family. So I, I said, dad, and this is kind of a silly thing, but I said, dad, can you remember anything about mom's pregnancy? And he said, her boobs got really big. I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that valuable information. <laughs> <laughs> like, no kidding, right? Like, that does not help me. I already know that because I'm looking down at my chest. Um, but, <laughs> um, but, like, I just, I cried so much because I just missed her so much. And I wanted her guidance to know what I should do. Um, My dad remarried a few years after my mom died and he married an amazing woman who was a family friend who's also a physician. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to have a hospital birth and she is a doctor. So clearly like my, and my dad's brothers are both doctors. So they're like all very, very traditional Western medicine. Like, oh yes, you should have a hospital birth. And my husband was born at home. And so his mom is much more of like midwifery and like kind of maybe non-traditional, at least in this day and time in the United States. And so 
um, I just was feeling super torn about what I wanted. And so I was like, God, if my mom were here, I would ask her and I don't, but I don't know what to do. And I don't know, you know, the answers to my questions. And if she were here, I would know. And so that was really painful. Mm. And I think it was a lot of the hesitation I had about getting pregnant was how am I supposed to do this without my mom? And so, you know, I just spent those months grieving her absence. And then, you know, what's been really amazing is that because I really utilize the processes that I help so many other people through, um, with grief recovery, when I went through my pregnancy this past time, just with Kai, who's just now three months old, um, I didn't feel that same pain. Um, and I feel because I know now what to do a little bit more, like granted, I'm always, we're always figuring it out. Right. But I, I feel so grateful that I had that experience of like longing for her. And now I feel like I'm, I get to be exactly who I am. And so the grief that's there, so the conflicting feelings are, I feel deeply sad that she's not a grandmother and that she doesn't get to love all over my babies because she would be so phenomenal at it and she would just love them so much. And I know she would be fantastic. And at the same time, I'm grateful in some weird way that she's not here because if she's the only person whose opinion matters to me that much that I would actually potentially even change what I would do because of her. And so without her presence, I kind of do what I want. And I like follow my own heart because I don't have her guidance. So like even like, so my mother-in-law, my stepmom, who I'm so close to, like I get their input, but then I make my own decision. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that if my mom were alive, I would be making my own decisions because my mom had such a big influence in my, in my life. Um, so in that way, the, you know, I feel grateful that I've had the opportunity to be myself and I feel devastated that my mom's not here to share this momentous time in my life with me. Right. So it's kind of, it's again, it's those mixture of feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And when I first asked you, you, you initially shared, well, it's funny because I feel my mom is here with me. So in what ways do you feel her presence? Like, and maybe this is a, getting a little esoteric, but how does she show up? Is it, <laughs> you know, I know um, Isla's middle name, you, you named is Jan, is Jan after yeah. your mom. And um, yeah, just yes. like, like, and she, like, tell me my, where my she shows eyes. up. Oh, she has your mom's eyes. Oh. Oh, she, so Isla, so my husband and I have brown eyes and brown hair and olive skin. And Isla has blonde hair and blue eyes. And we're like, what the heck happened here? (laughs) And, um, you know, part of me is like, if she hadn't been born at the birthing center, which is, was the comp that was by the far, by the way, the uh, compromise between the hospital and the home birth was the birthing center. And, um, if she hadn't been born in the birthing center with no other babies born that same time, I might've questioned whether she was ours. (laughs) (laughs) Now that she's a bit older, she looks exactly like me. So I know she's my child just with like the photo negative coloring, but you know, she does have my mother's eyes, which is so cool because it feels like a little gift from heaven Mm. um and and yes her name um 
I, my daughter is highly organized. Uh, like she organizes all of our shoes and like, <laughs> she, and my mom was like that. I am not like that. And so it's really funny to see like where these genes get passed down. So I feel like she's there. She shows up all the time in those ways. Um, she, like, it's allowed me to see who, what my mom's gifts were to me because also my husband is a lot like my my mom and I don't know that I ever would have seen that had my mom been alive Mm. um and so she shows up in that way too because Aaron is my biggest cheerleader like he is my biggest fan and he is also the one who helps bring me back down to earth when my head's getting too big and that was exactly my mom's role in my life as well Mm. like she was like you're amazing you're amazing you're amazing and the second I thought I was too amazing she's like Laura get your ass back down here (laughs) be a little bit more modest like one of the funniest things she used to say to me was um, if I said, don't I look pretty today? Or like, say I said something like that about myself in high school and she'd go, she says modestly. That was like her little <laughs> quote that I like remember. She'd, she'd say, she said modestly. <laughs> and so that. those are just those little moments that just, she just shows up in, in my, in my head, in my heart, um, in my partner, in my child. And I'm sure I'll see little pieces of her and Kai as well. I don't yet, but I'm sure I will. Mm, that's so beautiful that her, her legacy lives on inside your heart and inside your family and in your daughter and in your husband. Yeah, that's, it's beautiful that you can witness that and see that and acknowledge it as a gift, a little like wink from heaven, right? Like, I'm really here with you, Laura. Yeah, it totally, it does feel like that. And all the work I do, you know, like, I would not be doing what I do if it weren't for her. So if it weren't for her death, like, I mean, if she hadn't died, I certainly would not be doing grief work, I would not be doing what I'm doing. Um, So I feel like that has been just, and this is, I feel like my work is absolutely my passion and my life's calling. Like it's so profoundly uh, fulfilling to me that I have to be grateful to my mom because if she were living, it would not be. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Well, I've loved um, every year on your mom's anniversary, you write something, you write a tribute to her. You write about Mm -hmm. how she was your best friend and your biggest cheerleader, right? Everything that you just shared about her her role in your life. And, um, you know, I think it's, this is just my opinion, but I think it's beautiful to to do that and remember her and also to allow people to see that everyone has an anniversary of, of something that happened to them or a loss of a loved one. And it's, it's a journey of recovery and it takes time. And on that Mm -hmm. anniversary, you're probably going to be flooded with all of those emotions again. And it's okay to feel that. And it's, it's like keeping your mom's memory alive and, and, sharing about her with people. I imagine you've touched so many people who don't even know your mom or don't even know you by those tributes that you've made to her and then writing this book, right? It's dedicated to your mom Mm -hmm. and Isla. And um, 
you know, giving people permission to really grieve in their own way and in their own timing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something in our culture that, um, you know, we have the funeral or in Jewish culture, you, you have a Shiva and then it's, I don't know, you like move on with your life. It's kind of like, all right, there's, there's almost like a rush to kind of get over it. And I think that's, that can be a really damaging message to people. It's like, I'm feeling so deeply about this and I'm going through all of my waves. I'm going through the anger and the denial. And, you know, even when an anniversary comes, sometimes we can go through all of those stages of grief again, but really to, to show people that it's okay. How, however, their process is going, however long it's taking, it's okay. And that's even an exercise in the book. Look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself you're okay. <laughs> like however I am yeah. is okay. Whatever I'm feeling is okay. I'm okay. Um, and it's such a simple mm-hmm. message, but I think, um, you know, for the purpose of this podcast, like as moms, it's like, I'm okay. Like, even if I'm not doing it perfectly, which I probably am not because that doesn't even exist. Right. Wherever I'm at in my nice. process, whatever it is that I'm grieving in my life, I, I'm actually okay in this moment. And to be able to mm-hmm. just breathe yeah. into that. It's such a Yeah. Release. And like, I think one of the things that's so hard for people is to actually just feel all of their feelings because it can feel so intense mm-hmm. and so scary. Because, you know, if we've been pushing, imagine if you, every feeling you ever had and like, you've just been stuffing it down and down and down. And I had a client say this to me once that she's like, I, at one point, like I felt like I was having a panic attack or a nervous breakdown because I I was like feeling my feelings, all these feelings from all my life from 30 or whatever years. And I was afraid that it would never end. And I was like, eventually it's going to end, right? Like eventually all those feelings are going to come out of you and that physical release of your body is going to, you're going to feel amazing. But imagine if you just let yourself feel them all the time instead of like stuffing them down. And part of why I want to help moms with compassionate conversations is because I want moms and dads, of course, but to be able to have those kinds of conversations with their kids, yeah. normalizing kids' feelings rather than saying, don't feel bad, honey. Here, let me put my boob in your mouth. Right. Or like, <laughs> you know, like, don't feel bad. You'll get another dog or any of those things. And again, I talk about the myths in the book, but, you know, if we just let people feel their feelings, then instead of it feeling like this giant release at some point. It's just like these tiny moments that pass really quickly and easily. And so once we've cleared all the clutter, all the emotional clutter, then we just have to make a practice of feeling the feelings as they come up, you know, instead of like letting them get stuffed down and down and down and building and building and building until it just feels like it's this giant, scary thing that explodes and like, which is, you know, the cause of our, all these mass shootings and all these like, you know, homicides and suicides and is like these explosions or implosions that people are having because they've just been stuffing their feelings for so long Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it's just like boom and I can't handle this anymore and I just like something's got to give right so like the goal is just to ultimately just start feeling more more regularly allowing yourself to feel and like letting that be okay Mm -hmm. yeah One of the things that I, so I was sharing with you, Jacob, it doesn't speak yet. He doesn't have words. So 
sometimes we do, we will narrate for him. So he's really mm-hmm. upset mm-hmm. or he's mad or he's frustrated. I, I try to get a sense of based on his, whatever the fuss or the cry is, I try to get a sense of what it is he's feeling. And I may not be right on, but I'll say, oh, you're, you're feeling really frustrated because you wanted that you wanted mama's car keys and mama took them because I have to drive the car and now you're upset. I, that was really upsetting. You really wanted that, right? Like, so just like validating mm-hmm. him and trying to, trying yes. to name and, and almost always he'll cry for like 30 more seconds and then he's over it, you know? It's, yeah. But if, but if I were to say, and you said this earlier when we weren't recording, but helping Isla, Right. She's like, Kai's crying. It's so loud. And you're like, did we tell you to stop crying? And you're like, she's like, no. So like, it's okay for baby brother to cry. It's okay for you to cry. Right. Like just like validating them, validating their experience. Yeah. And, you know, I got that message when I was young, you know, like, what are you crying about? Or, okay, that's enough. Yeah. Right? Your life could be way worse. <laughs> <you know? laughs> right. I'll give right. you something to cry about. I'll give about. you something to cry about. Sometimes. Yeah, that's like the worst thing you could say. <laughs> it's like, okay, oh now God. I'm sad and I'm terrified of you um, on top of it. Right? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> but yes, yeah, this is, this is such an important. proud mommy moment, right? <laughs> like you, you get to help him have like these, you get to help him discover what he's feeling and like give him the words, even if he's not speaking them, like you're able to be that voice for him. And, you know, I do that for Isla too, because kids don't really know exactly how to express. And so now she'll go, I'm frustrated. Right. And I'll be like, I'm frustrated too. Like this morning, she didn't want to hug me goodbye. She wanted to just go to school and she didn't want to hug me and she just wanted to go with daddy. Um, and I was sad and I was like, I am really sad. Like I really want to hug. And she like came over and sat down on my lap and you know, part of me was like, okay, well that's something, <laughs> you know. but I have to own my feelings too. When right. I'm having them, I'm not just going to be like, whatever. And then resent her for not hugging me. I'm going to tell her how I feel because right. I want her to tell me how she feels when she's frustrated or sad. Right. Like, and she's good at, she's gotten really good at it. And I love when she says stuff like, mommy, it's okay to feel sad. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're like my work here is done yes <laughs> my work here is done mommy hashtag mommy points <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just great it's a great feeling when you feel like okay like accomplishment of the day is that she knows that it's okay for her to feel mm. yes if that is the only takeaway from this conversation for our kids and for ourselves okay for us to feel Mm -hmm. whatever we're feeling and to really hold ourselves with the utmost compassion and we can extend that to our kids extend that to really everyone we encounter our partners the lady at the grocery store like everywhere um and And can I tell our listeners like a little secret yeah I'm like what is the secret I want to know the secret (laughs) the secret is if we don't try to fix the people in our lives it's a hell of a lot easier and that's not what they want anyway they don't need to be fixed they're not broken 
They just need to be loved and acknowledged and validated. And if we can just normalize their experience and not try to fix it, it's, it's so much easier. There's so much less burnout as a mom. There's so much less burnout as a, as a wife or partner. There's so much, it's so much easier if we just say, man, that's really hard. Oh, Mm. that's frustrating. Is that frustrating? Right. Or rather than trying to be like, oh, but you could like, it's okay. Like it could be worse or, you know, all those things that people try to do to make it better, but really like they actually make it worse and it's exhausting as the listener. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I've the song (laughs) that's playing in my head is what the world needs now is love is sweet love <laughs> it's the only thing it's the only thing that there's just, just too little love, love. <laughs> <laughs> well um, I, I love you so much and I'm so grateful thank you for sharing yourself with us today and your wisdom and um I will post the link to your book and the link to your website in the show notes so people can go check you out and just go get the book, The Compassion Code. It's amazing. Um, Just really actionable tools and beautiful stories. I love a book that has great stories. Like that just gets me hooked right away. And um, there's so many just beautiful, beautiful stories in your book, Laura. And also just simple actions that you can take every day to cultivate compassion for yourself and others. Um, mm-hmm. It's no wonder it's a bestseller, baby, because it's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Rochelle. I really appreciate your love and support. And I am so grateful that you're doing this podcast because I know it's, if it hasn't already, it's going to help so many mamas and help us feel like we're okay and that we're not alone. And those are two feelings that are really important to have when you're navigating and traversing the challenges of motherhood and the beauties of motherhood. Yeah, thank you, honey. That's definitely my wish for this. I I want mamas to feel like they're not alone. I felt really alone. And that's why, you know, why I wanted to do this. So I hope that intention gets realized here. And thank you so much for being a part of it. Um, I want to share one. This is a this is not a secret like a trade insider trade secret, but it's a it's a secret that you and I share. (laughs) I'm recalling um, we went on a retreat in Santa Monica in 2012, Uh I think. And we were walking back to our little chateau from the Cafe Gratitude. And we were talking about whether we wanted to have babies or not. And I remember you saying, well, I want to have babies. And you were sharing something about your vision. And I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I really ever wanted to have babies, but I want to have babies with you. And we just like laughed the whole rest (laughs) of the way home. And, and then what ended up happening is I got pregnant and then six weeks later, or even maybe two weeks, I don't know, because our babies are only two weeks apart. Two weeks later, you got pregnant. And then we were literally like, I literally got pregnant with you and we had our babies two weeks apart. And that is a special moment. I will always remember and a special bond that we'll always share becoming mamas around the same time. So. Oh yeah. That was amazing. I remember visiting you and you were pregnant and I didn't know I was pregnant yet. (laughs) Right. I think I was like six weeks pregnant. I was like, I'm pregnant, like telling people already, which is so silly. 
Um, and I think your brother might have even reprimanded me. He's like, you know, people share a little early. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah. But I, you know what? I'm I'm gonna, can I can I talk about that for just a <laughs> okay. second, just while we have while we're out, like while we're on the topic? <laughs> I really think that what you what's like most important about that about sharing early is that you share with the people who you would share with if something were to happen. Right. Because if something were to happen and you were to lose the baby because that's the whole point right it's like you know don't share early because you might lose the baby and then what like so if you were going to share with the person that you lost the baby share with the person that you're pregnant because otherwise we are just continuing the myth that we're supposed to grieve alone Hmm. and that's bs in my opinion because ultimately we shouldn't have to grieve alone so if we lose the baby to be like, I'm sad because, so if you see somebody and they're like all in a bad mood and you're like, what's happened? And they're like, I had a miscarriage. And you're like, I didn't even know you were pregnant. It's like, yeah, well it was too early. And people are like, Oh, right. Or usually they just don't tell you. And then you're just in the dark and you just think some girl's acting like a biatch. Right. And it's because she's grieving because she just lost a baby and she feels crazy. And you're like, Oh, and so like, there's all these scenarios. And so my point is, is, it's okay to tell people. It doesn't matter if you tell them at two weeks. If you would tell them if the baby were to die, then tell them because you need that support. If something were to happen, you're going to need that support from the people who love you and the people you love. So that's my thought and opinion about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I I feel that too. And we actually, we had a pregnancy before Jacob and we told we had a dinner with his family we sat down and told them all and I called my parents and then the next day I had a miscarriage and I felt Mm, I felt foolish for telling so early and I also felt sad I mean there it was it was really early it was really early but then when we got pregnant with Jacob I was like you know I'm excited (laughs) like I'm not gonna hide this and similarly like what you said if you tell the people who would be there for you, if you experienced a loss, then it's, it's all good. You may not want to post it on Facebook and then have to go. It's just right to have to go and tell everybody like publicly um, because it's a very deeply personal thing. But yeah, I mean, honestly, when we got pregnant with Jacob, my grandfather had just passed away and I was staying with my grandma for three weeks in Indiana. And, um, I remember it was my mom's birthday and I wrote her birthday card and I said, you know, happy birthday, love from Lucas and Rochelle and baby. And then she, she was reading the card and she did a double take and she goes, baby, oh my gosh, are you pregnant? And it, right, like we had been grieving my grandfather and it was something that, you know, mm-hmm. he had been hospitalized for 10 days. It was kind of like clear that he was probably not going to make it. So there was, there was a lot of heaviness I think also some relief because he was really unwell and, and then this, this little spark brought love and light and excitement and renewal and all of that in our family. And my grandma was so excited. She cried. Right. And so Mm. I could have waited until we were 12 weeks, but I wouldn't have been there anymore. I wouldn't have been able to share that news with them. Um, you know, so it was, it was like a special moment in time. So I, I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, I I think people have different policies about it and honor whatever your policy is. And, and, you know, I was so surprised when I actually 
started sharing with people that I had a miscarriage. So many women have miscarriages and it just was never talked about. I, yes. I never, I had never heard of really anyone that I knew having until I shared that I had one and they were like, I had one too. Mm. And I didn't realize mm-hmm. how common it oh, was, yeah. but for someone who's been yeah. deeply wanting to become a mother, it's incredibly painful, you know, emotionally, it sometimes really physically takes a huge toll on your body. So bringing that into the light too, I think is an important conversation and, um, yeah, like loss is Absolutely. loss. Thanks for sharing, Rochelle. Yeah. I think that's so amazing. You're so incredible. So thank you. And um, I'm like, I wish we could talk for hours. I know. We've already <laughs> been talking for hours if we count the time that we were on here without recording. Yes. But I wish we were. I'm like, <laughs> right. we should be recording this. This is so good. Um, but I, again, appreciate you. I love you. I thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. It's so needed. These conversations are needed everywhere in every relationship. And um, yeah, I just thank you for walking around in the world with such a huge heart for everyone Mm. and all of our experiences. And um, yeah, I just, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. I love you. And I can't wait to see all the women who are, so greatly benefit from this experience of listening to you and all the conversations you're going to be having thank you laura thanks so much for being with us today okay mamas i hope you've enjoyed my interview today with laura jack author of number one bestseller the compassion code how to say the right thing when the wrong thing happens she teaches compassionate communication and how we can relate to one another more kindly during the challenging moments in life Her mission is to cultivate a culture of compassion, starting with self, and to create a better understanding of loss and its accompanying grief. You can find her at laurajack.com. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Mama Love Podcast. And if this resonated with you, I hope you'll go on iTunes and leave us a little review. It helps other mamas find us. And until next time, I'm sending you lots of mama love.